0: No good. There just isn't enough room to reverse here. Hurry up, Garth! Here comes a policeman. It's all right, Robin. We're not doing anything. Wrong. <laughs> 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 Abracadabra. Oh. <laughs> Go to the other side. Abracadabra. What? <laughs> 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 She's a. Bit cold this morning. Oh. (laughs) Twenty years at the police station, they've laughed at me for carrying a blanket, but I knew one day it would come in useful. Ambrosini Cadabra, coming useful. Coming useful twice this week. (laughs) Oh, is that living? (laughs) (laughs) Meantime, back to sketch. I'm Brick Bloody Deborah. <laughs>
1: Welcome to GoonPod. In the words of the great man, what are we going to do now? Well, first I'm going to introduce my guest. This week, uh, returning as part of his community service, is Adam Leslie. Hello. Uh, as, as I regularly said, you are almost like the beating heart of this podcast. You are the man who both designed the wonderful GoonPod logo and, of course, composed the theme tune. hmm I mean, um, I think beating heart might be a bit might be a bit strong. I think that's you. Oh, really? True. Yeah. True. You you are the what? The I'm the ivory... hat and the coat of the podcast. Hat and coat. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, Adam, you have shirked your responsibilities as a podcaster. There's been uh, no new retro tube for at least years.
2: At least so... since March, I think was the last one.
1: Was it? Oh, okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I've what been, you been busy doing? In... What you've been doing?
2: I've been busy. I've been busy writing. I've. Uh... Had had the workload of a full time writer whilst still working part time at a bookshop. <laughs> um, Heather's moved to uh, back to Liverpool, uh-huh. where she belongs. Yeah. So we've both been a bit um, all over the place, but hopefully, sometime soon, we are actually going to get back to it, and we're, we're planning to do "Give Us a Clue" next. So the last one we did was Moon dial.
1: Yeah. So
2: we like we like to keep it nice and
1: consistent. Are you going to do? Are you going to do "Give Us a Clue" in the style of "Give Us a Clue"?
2: Oh, we should. Mm, that would be yeah. good for a podcast, wouldn't it? It <laughs> would, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, it's... Um, I don't want to give away too much, but it's ber- very Beryl reed heavy the episodes we happen to have picked. Uh, so... Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not somebody I think about very often, but there she is, lots and lots of
1: Beryl Reid. Mm. A little bit of Beryl reed goes a long way in my book, but she's always <laughs> intriguing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, has Beryl Reid ever cropped up in a in a Goon related situation?
1: Uh, yes, she was uh, she was in uh, Two Way Stretch. She was oh, being um, she was being felt up by one of the prisoners in Two Way Stretch. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not an image I want.
1: No, no. She was um, she was famously in well, famously not really. She was in the um, Inspector Clouseau film with Alan Ark, the, the recently late departed Alan Arkard, God the rest his soul. Hmm. Um, she was trying to get her leg over Alan Arkin and Inspector Clouseau, um, which is obviously Goon adjacent. Yes. So, Adam, um, today you and I have come together to talk mm. about uh, a television series which uh, was very influential, very influential, um, and is dear to many people's hearts that listen to this podcast. It's Spike Milligan's Q series. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've watched all of all of Q that survives and it mostly all almost all of it survives there's a there's what I think there's four episodes missing from from the first series Q5 um, but I haven't watched it all recently and I felt it was it was a bit too much to ask you know you and me to cancel our week <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 watch all of it because it's you know it's funny but it's variable quite variable and mm. um, so we decided to choose a random episode from each series. Uh, so we watched, what did we watch? Episode four from Q5, episode three from Q6, episode one from Q7, episode six from Q8, and episode four from Q9. Yes,
2: you made me watch five episodes. Have I done something to upset you?
1: <laughs> well, it, it, well, I actually found it quite pleasurable. Yeah, it was actually, mm. yeah. Um, now, the unofficial Q10, which which went out as There's a Lot of It About, we didn't watch any of that, because mm. that's pretty rubbish, um, and also oh, David, really? Ren- David Renwick and I talked about it a bit when I interviewed him in February, mm. so if you're interested, go back and listen to that. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about Q. Uh, so Adam, but how aware were you of Q before this? Oh, I was certainly very aware,
2: mm. um, but I hadn't seen any other than I think the best of Q, or some... Possibly there's a lot of it about. I had, I have a memory of a compilation show maybe in the 90s when I was really heavily into the goons. So a lot of these sketches seemed quite familiar, like the the anthropological Coconese one and the Do People Still Stand Up for the National Anthem one? Mm. Uh, the Book at Bedtime with the Bad Dandruff. So a lot of those did seem really familiar. So it was nice to see around the edges a bit. See some of the other things that don't make the best ofs and don't aren't always shown on clip shows and those kinds of
1: things because it's because we were originally going to do the best of Q. Uh, Yeah, because we we both we both in our youth Mm. loved that video. I certainly did. Even though watching those sketches now, some of them are, you know, (laughs) they make your socks roll up and down your legs, don't they? Um,
2: Yes. But it was actually actually me, Sucker for Punishment, who requested we do some actual episodes, mainly because I'd listened to uh, an episode of the Excellent Comfort Blanket podcast, where they were talking about Monty Python being very um, vociferous about the fact that you can't watch a best of Monty Python, you have to experience it as it was intended, highs and lows equally. And I kind of thought, maybe we should. Maybe that's sort of the interesting part is not just the memorable ones that everyone remembers, uh, but the uh i don't want to say chaff that sounds awfully rude hmm. but the but the less broadcastable bits as well the bits you wouldn't show on tv these days uh, absolutely bits that don't work quite as well i think give more of an overall feel and flavour and impression of the uh, of the show
1: yeah so knowing how repetitive q could be i suppose and and recognising the tropes and subject areas that Spike liked to mine for comedy, I decided that today we would look at the A to Z of Q. Mm. That's that's snappy, isn't it? Yeah. Drawing on the shows that we watched, and although they were randomly chosen, I think that the, the five episodes provide a pretty rich seam of um, uh, representative examples of the essence of Q if you like. Mm, definitely. Okay. Um, before we get into that, I just want to give a quick sort of bit of background to the series. Have you have you done any sort of research into the the, 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 the sort of the early stirrings of Q5?
2: Not really. Um, I did do research in so much as I had to look up who Neil Shand was.
1: Okay. We'll, we'll come to him.
2: But other than that, yeah. other than that not really, actually. Okay. <laughs> because I'm a really good value guest.
1: Yeah, well, you just pin your ears back and I'll I'll do some chat. All for right, bit. Then, good idea. Um, so Q5 began in, in March 1969 on BBC Two. Now, why was it called Q5? There's a lot of speculation. We actually discussed this recently on GoonPod. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it could be any number of reasons. It could be to do with the uh, QE2. Um, it could be to do with... Um, BBC technical, internal technical jargon for program recording quality, believe it or not. Um, there's, there's there's lots of different possibilities. Uh, so I would direct curious listeners to the Sunstruck episode, if they want to um, hear more about that. But anyway, it was called Q5. <clears throat> and yeah, as you say, you mentioned Neil Shand. Neil Shand and Spike uh, wrote the first series, Q5. And we we know that uh, spike inspired the monty python lads but he he possibly was also quite an inspiration to uh, another comic genius sort of later on douglas adams because um spike was sort of dragging his feet and he wasn't really looking to meet any deadlines when it came to delivering the scripts mm. for q5 and um bbc head of comedy michael mills was starting to panic by late 1968 because they were ready to film and they just didn't have the scripts so he wrote a letter to Spike and he he explained quite tactfully that they'd got together you know quite a group of technical people and, and like a special props man and a special sound effects man and the producer Ian McNaughton um, had uh, had told Mills that there, that, that, that there are a lot of original and exciting ideas brewing and he basically finished the letter by saying come on lad pull your finger out OK, which we know that Spike was not one for being pushed into anything, particularly no. by the BBC. So I'm not sure how well that was received. And as I alluded to before, of the seven shows for Q5, only only three survive. And in that series, you had John Wells. Yes. You had uh, John Bluthel, who went on to become a regular for the Q series. Uh, Fanny Carby and Alan Clare and others. Um, I mean, you had special guests that, I mean, quite bizarrely, you had Richard Ingrams, who was the editor of Private Eye. Yes. <laughs> there was a guest appearance by Eric Sykes, uh, Clement Freud, Irene Handel, Bernard Miles. Clement and... Freud. So
2: there's a couple of very dodgy people
1: in this first series, then. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah we don't talk about Clement Freud, do we?
2: No. All the other all the other young man with the long hair. Who? Chris Langham.
1: Oh, yeah, but he wasn't in Q5.
2: Was he not? I thought he was in Q5. Was he in Q6?
1: They do Uh, blur
2: into one.
1: Yeah, I think he's Q6 onwards. Oh, okay. He's in Q6. Yes, I think he's in Q6. Uh, I see. Um, We'll we'll come to him. We'll come Mm. to him. Now, in Q5, there was a sketch, which was the annual grandmother hurling finals held at Beachy Head. And the studio audience who were watching it on film were less than enthusiastic. And this really irked Milligan, Uh-oh. who who called them boring. And he re- so much so he wrote a letter to the Sunday Times. <laughs> he wrote an angry letter saying, it's a pity the public doesn't know the tremendous difficulties that are incurred with a show of the nature of Q5, which depends on high-speed cutting, quick cutaways and various depths in sound, all of which doesn't come off in the time given by the BBC to rehearse and complete such a show. Everybody, so,
2: um, everybody knows it's always a great idea to berate your own audience.
1: Oh, yeah. That oh, never yeah. goes wrong. No. That's that's really, you know, the, 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 the beginning of of the Q series. And what I want to do, as I say, is, is I want to run through the show, A to Z, uh, leaning heavily on the five shows that Adam and I watched. But also, where appropriate, you know, I might throw in the odd little... Uh, example from other shows within the series
2: mm.
1: okay so shall we begin yes so a is for appliances right okay <laughs> flips through notes <laughs> <laughs> okay appliances is a favorite euphemistic term used by spike to indicate uh, sex toys and the like and wow. He often referred to appliances in Q and also in a lot of his work. Um, not the Goon Show, but later work. Um, so I felt it necessary for inclusion here, although he only makes reference to appliances once in the, the shows that we watched. It was in the um, the Q8 sketch with Michael Parkinson, where he visits the Grenadier Guards Armour Massage and Sauna Club. Yes. <laughs> and at one point, uh, Spike uh, refers to... Um, Uh, appliances with a sort of a cheeky wink
2: that rings a bell now you mention it yes
1: yes uh b is for Bluthal. john john the ever
2: present Bluthal. yes i had him down as probably the best person in it outside of spike
1: absolutely he seems to have the most range oh yes yeah you know i don't want to call him a stooge because he's not a stooge to spike but he 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 kind of is and but he can all he holds his own Mm. very well and he was a Milligan collaborator since the 50s With um, when Spike went out to Australia and did some TV and radio shows. That's where he, he met and started working with John. And then John moved to the UK. And, you know, we see it. We, I mean, John was in Hard Day's Night, for God's sake. Mm,
2: Hard Day's Night in Hell. So there we go. We get our Beatles reference, our obligatory Beatles reference. Got
1: it in early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John Bluth was a paid with Spike in so much over the years, uh, um, Digby the biggest dog in the world, Great McGonagall, the melting pot. Uh, and he also appeared in the nineteen seventy follow up sketch show to Q five, O in Colour, um, which was a bit of a bit of a damp squib, but it was more or less Q by any other name. Oh. Um and ironically, although it's called O in Colour, none of it exists in colour. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> well done, BBC. So, Okay, so in the shows that we watched, what what you know what stood out for you in terms of Blue contribution? He's all over it.
2: He's in. He seems to be in most of the sketches, and he does seem to be the. He seems to be the best actor there. Yes. Uh, very adaptable into the different roles, um, and he has very good comic timing as well. Whereas uh, I think a lot of the others just will just tend to shout pantomime style. And a lot of it. Well, is.
1: dear old Bob Todd, towards the end, he's just, he's just it's like he's checked out. He's just smiling. So. Yes. And grinning. <laughs> <laughs> no, Blueful throws us all into it, doesn't he? Mm.
2: Yeah, he seems to be actually the main one who's, I mean, I think taking it seriously might be a bit strong. <laughs> mm. But he seems to be making the most effort in terms of doing a good job and not just bellowing or. Pantoing it up or corpsing Or those sorts of things And he's, he's bringing range to it Yeah, what did you say? Did you say corpsing? I mean, I'm sure he does corpse
1: Well, C is for Oh yes, for corpsing <laughs> Corpsing <laughs> All Right, If you picked up where we're going with this now? There's How a lot of works. it about There is a lot of it about
2: I
0: tell you, there's nothing left of me below the waist <laughs>
1: Uh, I jotted down a, a handful of uh, examples of corpsing in the episodes that we watched. There's the um, the Q7 sketch, the Bermuda Triangle sketch, when um, <laughs> Spike's character, who's who's miserably married to Rita Webb, <laughs> sort of looks at the camera and says, there's nothing left of me below the waist, <laughs> and then just starts giggling. Um
2: the Michael Parkinson sketch, they barely make it through that sketch, which actually <laughs> which makes it a joy i think had had they done a retake and just did the sketch as written, I don't think there's a lot to it. It's very i mean, it's quite a wacky sketch. We're going to talk about the Parkinson sketch right, later,
1: okay <laughs> in detail because there's some really <sighs> stuff in that, there um, certainly
2: is, yeah, but I think it it's lifted by the fact that
1: Parky can barely hold it together,
2: yeah. I mean, he doesn't hold it together, really.
1: No. He's not a good actor. No. He's, he's a terrible actor. I mean, he's he was... Max, he Max Geldray level. He was better in um, Ghostwatch. Actually, you're right. Although he was essentially just... He was just being a television presenter, which is mm. what he is. You know, he wasn't he wasn't being asked to play a, a, a grieving widower. Or anything, <laughs> no. I suppose. Although I think um, a lot of
2: TV presenters just suddenly feel really self-conscious when they're asked to... When you see, like, news anchors on things like Doctor Who and that kind of thing, often you can tell that they're they're quite self-conscious, even though they're doing exactly what they would have been doing anyway had it been real.
1: Yeah. There's also the nice little bit of almost-corpsing in the Q8 Royal Windsor Scout Troop sketch. Oh, yes. When Bob Todd brings in an, in, um, an intact teapot, because they're trying to, what they're trying to do, they're trying to recycle rubbish. And Bob Todd brings in a teapot, which isn't broken. And Spike takes several attempts to smash it with a hammer. And John Bluthall, who's, who's huge Weldon. That's right. Tries hard not to corpse. Um, and just about gets away with it. <laughs> that's, um, I don't
2: know if we need to come back to this sketch, but that's felt the most, one of the more goon show sketches. I think because uh, they're Boy Scouts, obviously, which I think helps. But Spike's character, even though he's not doing the Blue Bottle voice, is very Blue bottle even down to the fact that he's calling this character Huge Weldon, which is probably his scripted name anyway, but just the fact that it, it feels... <laughs>
1: That's true, I never thought of that, yeah. It's
2: quite a Blue bottle character. His terms of phrase are very Blue bottle
1: Well, of course, Ruxton Hayward, who inspired Blue Bottle's voice... Mm. was this was, a, was a, scout a, a, a scout leader, wasn't he? Leader, wasn't mm. he? Yeah. Um, now, I've included this in the corpsing category because I, there was nowhere else I could put it. Um, raspberries, because <clears throat> raspberries often elicit corpsing. Yes. In, in Q. There's quite a few raspberries being blown in this series, aren't there? Mm. Uh, including, including again, the Bermuda Triangle sketch where, where Spike blows a, um, a particularly fruity raspberry at the travel agent, Keith Smith, and Keith Smith looks at the camera and says, could this be the Phantom Raspberry Blur of Old London Town? Yes. Is this Which before the Two Ronnies version? No, this was after. This okay. was maybe two years after, I think. So I'm not quite sure why Spike decided to include that, that self-referential. Yeah, why not? Why not?
2: Hmm. He's, he he likes back
1: references. He'd, well, yes, he does. He'd, he, yeah. Yes, he, he's very proud of his uh, his uh, back catalogue. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're up to D. Now, what could D stand for, do you think?
2: Um, I don't know. I've got an idea for E, but I haven't...
1: Um, All right. What D might be. Well, D is for David Lodge. He was in Cockleshell Heroes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Who else would it be? Good old Dave Lodge. I so, like that running gag. It's great, it, and he's a good sport. It happens in
2: more than one series as well. <laughs> oh, seat. it's
1: I've, it's there's three series that we watched that he he says it or it's be it's it is it is said to him because mm. <clears throat> he wasn't in Q5. Um, in Q7 he appears as a Labour Party MP called Jim Daft, or Daft. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and as he as he's addressing the camera, Spike comes over and lays a massive wreath. Over him, and looks at the camera and says he was in Cockleshell Heroes. Um, but I love the I love the Q Nine Royal Guardsman sketch.
0: Ah, here, Tom, stand at ease, form, 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 feet. Billy, what are your duties, <laughs> Guardsman The First one's is to get all this spit off me face. <laughs> Grawlix. Grawlix. I am... <laughs> I am not Guardsman Grawlix. I am Guardsman Britt Eklund. Just testing your memory. I was just testing yours. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And you... You are Dave Lodge of the Cockleshell Heroes. Funny you should say that. I didn't think it was funny, didn't get a laugh. (laughs) I did nothing, Mr tonight. Billy! Yes? What bit of the film did you like? I liked the bit where you get mangled up by the e-boat German propellers. I didn't get mangled? You mean you you look like this normally?
2: That was one of the laugh-out-loud gags. (laughs) It's... It's a minefield for laughing out loud. Is cue. Oh yeah. It it's it's um it's like a <laughs> roller coaster of laughing and then
1: cringing very hard. Yes. It's one of those shows. Gary, my friend, says that um, there's certain shows or certain films of a certain era where, and I'm not talking about pornography or anything like that, but just you know that if you, you have never. to watch, hey, eh? you would never. Oh no 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 he did you he's he knows that they're the sort of programs that he has to watch on his own because he would feel incredibly uncomfortable if anyone walked into the room while he was watching them well let Just, me tell you mm.
2: because um i'm not one of your fancy guests who has a uh a family and a marriage and stuff i i live in a uh, house share because i'm a i'm a writer oh uh, yes mm. don't don't do writing kids uh, so I, I I live in a house share. Are you in a, a garret? Pretty much, yeah. Mm. Um, so I live in a house share with people who are much younger than I am. Mm. Uh, so there was when I was watching, whichever one it was, either the, the Q8 or Q9. There was a stream of thirty-year-olds coming through the room, <laughs> and, I, and I was going, "It's for a podcast." It was the it was the the scene where the it's scantily clad police women wrestling burglars. <laughs> it's for a podcast. Look, here's the notes. Being groped.
1: Yes. <laughs> Inelegantly. Mind <laughs> you can also, you be elegantly um... groped. I suppose <laughs> you can. Uh,
2: and uh I told my uh my housemate Hillary that um I'm gonna watch this comedy show and it has quite a lot of racism and things in. And I'd paused it to make some notes and she came in just as I'd as I'd paused it on uh John Bluthal in full blackface. <laughs> so you do, you do have to uh, yes. they did not yeah. mind though yeah
1: it's they know, like, oh
2: adam what's he what's he watching this time <laughs> oh
1: adam is that like a catchphrase in your house <laughs> yeah.
2: what's what weird stuff is he watching now
1: yeah but uh, yeah so dave lodge obviously he's he's gone down he's he, you can't know these days our generation you can never mention dave lodge without someone saying he was in Show heroes <laughs> Not a bad legacy, I suppose. No, I don't. I mean, it was the fifties. So, so yeah, it's a great film. Actually, have you I've seen it? I've not seen it. No, brilliant film. Um, so if you've ever, if I, in fact, I think it was, on, it was on. It was on. It was on film four today. Not oh, really I should okay. have told you. Sorry. Huh. Uh, you could have set your VHS for it. Because yeah. Mm. Now you reckon you know what E stands for? Come on. I think it's uh, Ed Welsh. It, it's not. It's not, oh. but we will talk about Ed Welsh. Okay. But no, no, it's for the environment, believe it or not. Ah, um, one, of, one of Spike's cause, pet causes. Well, yeah, because he, he was one of the earliest, I guess, celebrity voices speaking out against pollution and, and other environmental concerns. Mm. And he, he would sometimes incorporate the environment into Q, which I suppose was quite progressive. In some mm. ways, if you think about it, but I noticed in this that in uh, in um, Q7 he was wearing a Friends of the Earth T-shirt. I missed that. Oh, did you? Right, yeah. okay. And in Q8, we're back to the Royal Windsor Scout Troop sketch. Uh, of course, they're recycling, aren't they? Of course, like Wombles. Yes. So they go away. To... Now we get to F. Now F is. I think we're going to be talking about this for a while, actually, because mm. um, <clears throat> F is four. Females. Right. Bosomy or battle (laughs) axes. Yes, it's a shame. (laughs) Isn't it? It, What's a shame? (laughs) I
2: mean, for a start, in one of the episodes, he's got Margaret Nolan and all she does is just stand there and look gormless. She has a couple of lines. But I think there's... I forget which one it is where it has the roll call of the cast at the beginning and i counted uh six six men and four women in the cast but the women don't get to do anything other than be awful battle axe harridan wives or uh stupid blondes who just stand there and look gormless with vacant their vacant expressions
1: or julia breck who just who just blots out the sun <laughs> and it doesn't she um no i know what you mean the beginning of, i think it's beginning of q6 the credits yeah there's there's all the all the males all the men mm. and then there's even there's a there's an actress famous actress actually uh sheila stiefel of course yeah and but she doesn't even appear in it no <laughs> yeah it because there's certainly there are women in it
2: but they normally just either stand there or sit sit there next to the main action as the wife and they'll have a couple of lines and a side to the camera. But they usually don't take part in the actual back and forth of the sketch itself. They'll, they'll make some kind of comment, but normally they just they'll just be there with their arms folded looking
1: glum or yeah. furious. It's either either Stella Tanner, she always plays the sort of bespectacled, downtrodden yes. wife or in the earlier series, Rita Webb mm-hmm. who spent all
2: of one episode, just screaming. <laughs> I think that was the, the Cockney's was... one, wasn't it? She was screaming in the Cockney's one. She's screaming in another one as well. She was
1: screaming in the um, Bermuda Triangle sketch. That's um, right. And <laughs> and I always think of her screaming. <laughs> that was her whole career was built on screaming. I think of her most famously screaming at Ringo Starr in the beginning of the Magic Christian.
2: Oh, I've not seen that in years and years and years. And she shouts
1: something like along the lines of "Get your bloody haircut." <laughs>
2: So he had plenty of actresses in it, but he just didn't use them. I mean, this is a very 70s sketch. I think it. Uh, Python, in a way, were worse because they did have uh, good, strong, female, funny female characters. And they played them all themselves. So they didn't even have the middle-aged Harridans played by women. They just had the fake and
1: Yep. Well, they had so, Carol Cleveland, but she didn't just do the Glamorous bitch, she should be given some other stuff to She'd do, wouldn't give she? A little bit, most of it was yeah. looking a bit confused,
2: uh, yeah. crying. Oh, Bevis, and I thought you were so <laughs> well. No, that was, um, that's Connie... Connie Booth, that's right, Connie Booth, yeah. But yes, uh, she, she gets the occasional thing to do, but not very much. Um, but then she wasn't Python, but in this, they're very definite named cast members, but they're very, they're on the periphery. Yeah.
1: So Spike is either, with the women in the show, Spike's either lusting after them mm-hmm. or, I wouldn't mean, say so trying to kill them, but in the um, the Q6, where does it hurt sketch, which we'll come to in a bit, mm-hmm. Rita Webb's, his very frumpy wife, she's got acute lumbago and she's being sharply sort of poked, I think, with a stick by Spike because he wants a holiday in the south of France. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh and then we've got we've got a sketch which I was very familiar with from the best of Q video, which was the um Arabs Buying Up London oh, sketch. Yes. Where you've got Julia Breck as, as Spike's daughter. Spike always seem, seems to play the same sort of character, which is mm. this kind of cockney working class cloth cap wearing, you know, man yeah, with the kind a, of a, a William dope. Mate voice. Yeah. Um and Julia Breck plays his daughter in that sketch, and she's wearing sort of black lingerie. And you've got, I mean, the sketch. That sketch actually, it's a, it's, in, it's very funny in parts. It's it's not funny in other parts, but it's very funny in parts. Particularly the beginning, which it starts quite promisingly with Spike. He's 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 living in a flat, and he's staring out his flat window at a back at a really terrible backdrop of gasworks, mm. and he looks to the audience.
0: I bet you thought that was a turner painting, didn't you? <laughs> No, no. It is just a sweep of the English countryside, <laughs> as you can see what it do it—a good it sweep.
1: I thought that was very nice. It's, it's his uh, environmentalism again. True, mm. absolutely. But then Julia Brett comes in, he, and and he, and Spike sort of <sighs> going well, no, well, this well. Is, this is a real, is isn't it?
2: It's. I mean, it's it's well acted,
1: but it's very, uh, it's very, it is very. And then he says, he says to his wife Stella Tanner. Who's that? And she said, Who's that? That's our daughter. And he goes, Blah! <laughs> Just my luck!
0: Here, Dad. There's an Arab sheep pulling up outside. What's he pulling up outside? <laughs> it's
2: not It's not offensive in the way that some of the later jokes are, but it it doesn't sit comfortably. No. It's a bit grim, but it's also yeah. it's kind of grimly funny. If you take it, you know it's quite a dark thing but i'm not sure it's intended as quite a dark thing i think everything's just a gag to spike
1: yes and later in that sketch of course um his daughter julia brett gets um i'll say this delicately she gets taken into another room and ravished by an arab
2: she does yeah it goes it, it goes into some places yeah uh, the sketch it takes some turns it, it has one quite good gag where she says there's there's some Arabs pulling up outside, and he says, "What are they pulling up outside?" <laughs> I quite like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like the bit when um uh, he's showing the the Arab gentleman um the prime London real estate, which is like a um, a window box. Oh yes. And he said there was a last week there was a herd of deer on there. What happened to them? They fell off. Mm. <laughs> that was quite good. Yeah. Um, but of course we've got to come to the Parkinson sketch because. Uh, Parkinson is talking about the fact that he only agreed to, to appear on the show. He says, I gave Spike Milligan 50 quid to get the dressing room next to the girl with the big boobs mm-hmm. and use the other 50 quid to buy a Black & Decker.
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> At one point in that sketch, I think it's that sketch, Spike says, it's Neil Shand wrote the boob gags. Yeah, I don't believe uh. that. No, I'm not sure I believe that. But if if he did, because I don't, he he seems to be a jobbing writer. I don't th- don't know if we'll come to Neil Sham. So if I if I we will. To save that, okay, we I'll, will. will. I'll save it. But um, yeah, I, I imagine Spike likes the opportunity to talk about uh, ladies' bosoms. Yes, I think Spike possible.
1: had a, Spike had a uh, took took quite a fancy mm. to ladies' bosoms. So I
2: think I think we
1: you know it, it could be
2: argued this is the seventies. Of course, there's not going to be strong female characters. It's it's the seventies. But if you look at a an approximately contemporary comedy show, although it's not the same thing, it's it's a, a sitcom rather than a sketch show. You've you've got the Good Life, yeah,
1: which has oh god, Margo entire... never got her knockers out, did she? <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> but but the, but Margo and Barbara, they're not just. The Harrod and, and the dumb blonde. they're they're, or the you know the glamorous one. It's not like the dowdy one and the glamorous one or anything like that. They're very well rounded comedy characters who have agency, but also they're fun. they're allowed to be funny. They're not just yep. foils for the for the yep. husbands. They they have their own comedy lives themselves, and they can be the butt of jokes, but without losing their dignity. And they can deliver the jokes and that kind of thing. And this is this is contemporary. Well,
1: yeah, a few years earlier. But before the Good Life, I think, at least a good year or two before, was Man About the House, mm. which had um, two, well, certainly one, very empowered young female character. Mm. I've not Who seen it, the... but
2: I'll, I, I, I know it by. You've not, you've
1: not seen it. Good God, she was that, I mean. quite the equal of the, the male sort of the Larry male characters in it. Mm. You know what I mean? Giving her as good as she got. Um, but yes, yeah.
2: yeah, so, so they were doing it in sitcom, not in, not always, but certainly there were some good examples of seventy sitcoms with 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 proper decent female characters. But even well into the eighties and probably the nineties, they, they, it was still more or less the same. And it's certainly not a Spike Milligan thing of having terrible <laughs> women characters
1: in these things. No, but he kind of kept it going for maybe a little bit longer than it he should have done. I suppose. Oh, definitely yes. Yeah, as well as other. Uh, things which you'll come to um okay so moving on unless there's any is there anything else about boobs you want to you want to talk about i
2: think i've got it off my chest okay good i mean actually Uh, there is a um there's there's the magical floating boobs in the uh (laughs) triangle sketch which is uh, again it's it's certainly it's objectification but it's i mean i think with a lot of these things it makes the male characters look rather ridiculous because he's just he's this desperate Character who's clawing at this vision, like clawing at the air, when this vision appears above his head. Um, but it, yes, it doesn't. It doesn't age well.
1: No, no, and I can't include a clip of the magical floating boobs because this is a podcast. Yes, so you'll have to buy the DVD. Mm. Um, okay, so G, we're up to G, and our G is for genuinely funny sketches. Mm. So here we go. There are definitely we, some. We, there, I, we, I, I was, there was quite a quite a few. I laughed out loud. What would you say were the standout sketches for you?
2: The Bermuda Triangle sketch had two consecutive proper laughs out loud for me. So that mm. was one of my favourites. The the So the gag where he's hitting the bell on the countertop and he hits it so hard it goes all the way through the counter. I, I mean I I like things falling through other things that always makes me laugh in, in one of the early retrotube episodes when we're talking about the persuaders and I think it's Tony Curtis falls all the way through some stairs, like he's going down the stairs and falls all the way through them. <laughs> yeah. I really found that amusing. So I think there's something about something falling through other things that are not supposed to fall through that entertains me. But so I was really entertained by the bell. And mm-hmm. then uh, the, the guy behind the counter says, you rang? And Spike says, no, you twit. It was the bell. And I I hooted. That appealed to me.
1: Yeah. From the Q5 episode we watched, I was laughing quite a bit at the the national anthem sketch. Mm. Particularly because the whole conceit is that they wanted to check that people were actually standing whenever they heard the national anthem. And (laughs) they'd go into like a a public, a gentleman's convenience. (laughs) Yes and they play it, and you can hit, there's somebody you can, in a toilet cubicle, you can't see them obviously, they start playing the National Anthem anthem, and then you just hear this voice from inside going, oh
2: no! <laughs> <laughs> I, I Because I've seen that sketch before, I didn't particularly laugh at it this time, but I remember many years ago it's Spike on the park bench and there's somebody playing a record of the National Anthem somewhere behind him, he doesn't know where the music's coming from, yeah. Um but he stands up anyway and looks really confused. And I remember nearly expiring from laughing at that. Yeah. <laughs> when I was much younger.
1: I also like, um, again, a memory from the video, Best of Q, Q6, Jehovah's Burglars.
2: Oh, yes. There's some good, yeah, there's some good gags in that. That's, bet- that's very, I like the ones that just have like layers of really good sort of goon style plays on work play on words and that yes there's
1: there's some there's some great stuff in that i mean you've got chris langham the aforementioned chris langham Mm. it's very young chris langham and you've got john bluthill as fang the police dog doing a wc fields impression
2: yes it's he that's whenever he plays dogs he always does it as wc fields for some reason (laughs) twice he appears
1: yeah Um,
2: fuck growl
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love the bit where um uh, burglar Dave Lodge says to policeman Spike Milligan, "I'm a distant cousin of the Queen." And Sp- Spike sort of drops to the ground, sort of twists his leg over his back, and says, "This puts me in a very difficult position." <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, some of them I think when when he's given himself room to just do that kind of thing, they work really well. <laughs> when, yeah, when it's just it's just a very basic idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shout out to Peter Jones as well, who was great in these uh, shows. Peter Jones as the uh, restaurateur. Yes. In that sketch. We
0: are Jehovah
1: burglars.
3: But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not
0: Jewish. I'll come to that later. You see, me and my friend here are being persecuted for our beliefs by the police. What are your beliefs? We believe you've got a lot of good silverware and stuff like that in us. Good heavens, that's absolutely true. We only believe in the absolutely true. Uh, what are you doing? You! But why are you removing that very valuable silverware? I should be kept in a safe, and it's mine. We are a disbeliever, here, brother. We must convert him, kneel down, and say after me, Oh, my bleeding head! <laughs> oh, my bleeding head! <laughs> here come the ground. <laughs> my, my, my. Sergeant, there, there has been a distinct thud on the head at 365 Hagley Road, Birmingham. This is a job for the police. <laughs> <laughs>
3: They're
0: they playing our show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> Pardon me, sir. We have reason to believe that a lump on a head has been committed to disagreement. <laughs> heel fang, heel. Heel fang, he says. I'm sorry, sir. I shall have to arrest your wrists with handcuffs. In connection with what? With the rest of your arms.
1: <laughs> There's also some quickies like like how to start your own wine cellar. <laughs> um yes. and I lo- I tell you what, I hooted. You know the bit in fact it's the episode that where he was wearing the Friends of the Earth t shirt. Mm. Um when he's invented he's got this doll, this doll that walks. Oh yeah. He's, he's got it on this little desk, and it's this little girl doll, and she just walks and then sort of just walks off the side of the desk and drops onto the floor. And Spike says, yes, I've invented a doll that commits suicide. I should make Mm -hmm. a fortune.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's one... There's some... The sketches that I didn't necessarily think were funny, but were so weird they impressed me. There was a couple of them. The, the one that really stands out was the um the Patrick Moore sketch, which started off not very good. The whole thing about the sausage, mm. the unidentified flying sausages yeah, whatever. Then there's a bit where he he going. I forget who it is that he's going to talk to. So he opens a wardrobe. And suddenly starts conducting all the people inside the wardrobe who are in this kind of di- this rocking diorama of a tube train. Yes. But they're making the noises with their mouths, and he's conducting that. And this just happens, it's like, whoa, this this has gone very dreamlike. <laughs> but I like it when it just suddenly the reality of it collapses in, and you get this really odd moment where if you're not paying attention, it's like, oh, it's another thing happening in queue. But it's like, that's actually really weird and satisfying that there's just all these people rocking inside this. And and it also has John Bluthel as a ventriloquist dummy, yeah. the yokel sitting on his lap. And they've reversed it so that the ventriloquist dummy is the ventriloquist, but he's still doing the ventriloquist dummy mouth thing. And the mm. yokel on his lap is talking normally. Mm. So it's quite a complex series of, Im- images and ideas inside this, this wardrobe that happens to be on this set of a, an otherwise rather it's, lame it's, Patrick yeah. Moore sketch.
1: It's like Spike's always trying to allude to the fact that they're trying to save money by mm-hmm. cutting corners wherever they can. It's yeah. like in the Crafts um, the sketch from Q9, which I was, again, I thought that was great. When you've got Keith Smith coming into the... Ticket office and mm. asking for tickets while changing into different hats. Um And then a, a caption flashes up saying BBC economy crowd scene, which I yes. thought that was, that was nice.
2: Cause it delays it. It doesn't say BBC economy crowd scene first. No. You wonder what he's doing. Why does he keep doing this? Yes. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that one works. Oh yeah, yeah. And also in the, the, the sketch in the tube tray inside the wardrobe, there's a, there's a lovely bit of corpsing in that. Did you notice that when, um, I think it's Spike says about the ventriloquist dummy, it's Izzy Bond. And one of the (laughs) old men, just one of the extras dressed as a city gent, he goes, did you notice that?
1: I I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that. Yeah, one of the old fellas. There's so much to look at, isn't there? In these. Uh, Bob. There's a
2: Beatles reference as well for you, Izzy Bond.
1: Izzy Bond from Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, that's the only
2: place I've ever heard of him before. I'm, I'm completely unfamiliar with Izzy Bond beyond. He's the one who has the ha- his ha- he's waving his hand so he it's, is it's yes. floating above paul's head so strange people think that that means paul died in 1966 oh dear
1: yeah those people are sick should be locked up um <laughs> the parkinson sketch from q8 bob todd as a topless waitress had me had me howling
0: good evening mr parkinson you for a mug of wine i'd love one thank you it's very kind oh, of you on. thank you What year is it? 1979, sir. (laughs) It's on top of all the newspapers. (laughs) Milk and sugar. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's his own suit. Watch (laughs) You are
3: a thing
0: of such exquisite beauty, enchantment (laughs) and charm. I find it difficult to believe that you're a man. What else do you find it difficult to believe? (laughs) That you've forgotten your
3: lines? (laughs) Yes.
0: Say after me. Uh, I also find it very hard to believe what I'm saying. Right? That's right. Camera three. Right. (laughs) I find it difficult to believe I'm saying these sodding lines.
2: (laughs) I mean that is quite a funny sketch that one despite being wrong on many many levels it's so wild
1: yeah uh it it kind of it it rides roughshod through taste and decency well absolutely and and staying on that sketch we get to h now what could h stand for do you think if we're staying on that sketch um homophobia well done give that man a bun I mean, it's not. Is it homophobia? Is it just? Is I, I suppose that's the technical yeah. phrase for it. Is it? I suppose I don't know.
2: I don't know if yeah. I don't know if you call it homophobia so much as maybe insensitivity. Yeah, well, it's not outright. Mean. it's not outright hatred. Oh God, so it's no, not no. in the way of the you know a lot of the racial stuff is definitely way beyond the. No. Shall I say way beyond the pale? I mean, there's a lot of mm. blackface, so it's literally beyond the pale. Um, and I think isn't necessarily meant... I don't know. It's difficult to say at oh, this, this kind of remove, and I don't want to come across as an old sourpuss. Um,
1: no, but... I know, I know. And, and, and it, funny enough, so we watched five episodes. The first three episodes that we watched, assuming you watched them in chronological order. Yes. There was not a not a whisper of anything, you know, any sort of gay caricatures or anything no. like that or limp-wristed shenanigans, none of that. Um, and it's just in the, 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 the Naffy sketch, sketch, the Parkinson sketch in Q8, when you have uh, John Bluthel as the uh, duty homosexual. Yes. Um, and he's not even that camp, really.
2: There's the um, floor manager. Is that the sketch that also has the floor manager?
1: No, that's in Q9. That's the Guardsman, right. Royal Guardsman. sketch. That's right. Keith remember, Smith. Yeah. yeah.
2: Keith Smith
1: playing the... Uh... Yeah.
2: Who's Keith Smith anyway? Like, I mean, I know who he is in relation to that, but he, he didn't look familiar out of
1: all of them. Like, oh, I you know, anything. I do know, but I've forgotten. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he was always good. He was quite good. Value. He was like always
1: good. His... I mean, he just played Gormless, didn't he? Yeah, man?
2: he's a, this weird grin.
1: But the, look, there's not a lot. Considering the time that it was made... Mm. Certainly, in the shows that we watched, there wasn't a huge amount of insensitive gay portrayals or references. No, I think I think you lent quite heavily on the um, the bosoms and the the blackface. I think not so, so. Not so much on the the gay. Yeah,
2: characters. certainly compared to a lot of comedy that I remember from the early '80s, where the homophobia or the like, the gay references could be quite aggressive. Yeah. and they'd be using the p-word a lot, and you know that sort of yeah. thing, and in an accusatory way. Yes, um, I don't remember yes. any of that. It was just, it was just some quite ridiculous camp camp characters and flouncing and that sort of thing. P- uh, Pooves
1: yeah. as the Pythons yes. referred to a collective. Of yeah, there game was not, men.
2: none of that that I remember. No, no, um, no, yeah, no, no kind of aggressively accusing people of such.
1: No okay um I'm just going to go a little bit serious for a moment with mm. I. OK, so I is for, quote, I just had me and some second bananas, unquote.
3: Oh,
1: OK. Spike, with typical bluntness, years after Q ended, said of the show that, unlike Python, who had, you know, uh, wonderful performers, equal in talent, mm. almost you could you could argue. He said with regards to Q, I just had me and some second bananas. Oh. And I and I think that's totally unfair and totally mm. untrue, particularly Pluthor. Mm. Spike so was always trying to rewrite history or his own history and and always trying to sort of undermine the value that other people brought to shows that he was involved with, I feel
2: it's yes, weird. He seems at the time of doing anything, he always seems like a big team player.
1: Yeah, but later he's like, "No, it was all me. They're
2: all idiots, and I hate them."
1: The exception being the Goon Show, mm. I guess. He never, he never really criticised Sellers or Seekham at all. Yeah, but he, but everything he, else, he did write
2: Larry Stevens out of history. Oh yes, he did. What, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And he 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 also said in in I'm not sure if it's the same interview, but he said, "Um, he What well, he didn't know, it didn't just slag off. The performers on cue. He also was quite critical of the directors and producers that he worked with, and he wow. said, tele- "He said television is a difficult medium for comedy. Your imagination gets filtered through so many people. Mm. But without those people, could you imagine Spike just trying to do it all on his own? It would be, <laughs> it would be Julia Breck in blackface, just, just <laughs> jumping up and down on a trampoline or something."
2: The thing is, as well, nobody seemed baffled everybody, he, he had the right people around him. Everybody took it in the spirit that they were supposed to. Yes. There was, yeah. You know, there were some cast members who were quite elderly and seemed quite, you know, for a better, one for a better word, straight compared to Spike yeah. who were just t- taking it in the spirit it was intended and, you know, going along with it and they weren't they weren't, they didn't seem confused as to why they were there and what all this stuff was about and Everything. So I think he did have a really good cast around
1: him. They're all very similar. They're all mainly middle-aged white men. <laughs> uh, well, if he didn't like them or if he didn't rate them, why did he keep getting Bluthal and Lodge back?
2: Exactly. Series it, after series. It,
1: the, the affection is
2: clear as well. Like yes, the, the way he's ribbing Dave Lodge about being a cockle shell hero repeatedly, and you can tell he has a lot of affection for a lot of these people.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, so I think it's just like being cranky, isn't it? It is.
1: Okay. So J is for Jack's brackets union. Oh, yes. And I thought you were going to say Jack's commentary. <laughs> Seasons in the sun. No. Exactly. Um, Jack's union and the trappings of a lost empire. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is you see quite often, I mean, there's a <clears throat> union Jack's all through this series, isn't there? Uh, um, in Q five, you see uh, a, a very young John Wells with blonde, floppy hair and um, a Union Jack tie and a suit, and he looked for a brief split second. I thought it was Tim Brooke Taylor.
2: Yes, I did as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a lot of ripped and frayed Union Jacks abound. They're all over yes. Q, aren't they? Mm. Um, <clears throat> and tatty. As I say, the the trappings of a lost empire. Because Spike was obviously an Empire child. And at one point in the um, Q7 Arab sketch, he dresses up as a viceroy of India. Yes. He looks very yeah. smart. He does. You he don't except... Spike looking smart.
2: Yeah, rattled with, rattled with bullet holes. But other than that...
1: Yeah, that's right. But no, yeah, lots of Yigin jokes.
2: Yeah, it does add to the texture of it, I think, doesn't it? That it's not just... I mean, it's mostly, but it's not just a standalone sketch show where nothing it's all in it's all in milligan world yeah the whole thing takes place in the milligan universe the milligan extended universe uh so it does it has all his um, preoccupations so the. so it does live in this faded post empire
1: post swinging london kind of
2: rather ugly and grubby and ragged version of britain
1: yes yeah we'll come to that as well um so many Union Jacks. It, it would they could they could play this on GB News. <laughs> go down a treat. Yeah.
2: Can you imagine if Spike was alive today? He'd have great fun spoofing GB News.
1: Well, yeah, you'd hope so. Yeah, I mean, he'd um, probably go
2: on it because he wouldn't know not to. But
1: no, um, <laughs> like please. Yes. Uh, um, K is for Kuwait, uh, as in the country in the Middle East, but the. Television series Q8 began in 1979. Um, the credits for Q8. Don't the characters of Q8 then form into Arabic characters, spelling out the word Q8 as in the country? Is that right?
2: I can't remember. I know it definitely spells out the, the word Q8. I can't remember if it's in Arabic characters
1: or not. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. There's
2: a lot of information in one of these episodes. <laughs> There's a lot of input.
1: Yeah. And, and I just, uh, I was looking for something, else. I was thinking, what can K be? What can K be? That's said, like, oh, Q8, <laughs> that'll do. <laughs> so let's move swiftly on, shall we? Um, <clears throat> L is for Labour Exchanges, which... Um, Another
2: of Spike's favourite topic,
1: Favourite locale, location for mm. sketches and sequences. It goes right back to The Goon Show. Um now, there's only, I think there's, to my mind, there's only one sketch from the shows that we watched that was set in a labour exchange, which was the Mayfair labour exchange in mm. Q7. And you've got um rather lordly Robert Dawning, who we haven't mentioned yet, who was a regular oh, yes. around this time. The rather um, chunky fellow. Mm. You've got Robert Dawning. You've got John D. Collins, who was later to go on to be one of the British airmen in Ulo-Ulo, and he was was
2: Of course a... he was. That's where the name sounds familiar
1: yeah he he was he was also one of the Arabs in the um Arabs buying up London sketch ah. uh you've got John d Collins you've also got John Bluthal as I think he's like a Harry Krishna and spike yes,
2: or a, yeah or, or, a, or a um, yogi or something mm, like Gandhi sort of Yeah. he's, he's bald-headed and is
1: meditating or something yes huh. <laughs> Um, and it's it's a little bit of political satire because it's all about the Tories exaggerating the unemployment figures of the then Labour government.
2: Yes, that was an interesting sketch because the whole the whole beginning of that episode is to do with the, I presume, upcoming election. Um, and it's difficult to I couldn't quite tell Spike's position on it because I I'm not for an instant going to say Spike was a Tory. I don't think no. he was, um, no. but I. But, of course, they had a Labour government at the time and people are always going to be a bit... I mean, I'm not I I'm not uh, versed enough in historical party politics to know how competent the Labour government of the 70s was, but I, I do sense that the 70s wasn't a particularly happy time for people. Um, no. And you're always going to be a bit down on the sitting government anyway and they're going to be more ripe for satire. So Absolutely. I think there was quite a bit of poking of the, the sitting Labour government in some of these sketches which for at, at this this far end of having gone through the amount of Tory government that we've been through, yeah. it sits differently, it sits oddly, it's a bit uncomfortable but at the same time you can understand the fact that they, they're they in a completely different you know they've just been through the 70s with a very different set of politicians and a very different uh, thing which I think it's a similar thing with Eric Morecambe who said that he was he he was a big fan of Margaret Thatcher during the seventies, and he said you know he's he's looking forward to Maggie coming in. Mm. Um, so whether he was actually outright a Tory or whether he was just like I'm a bit fed up of this current government, it's going to be nice to have a new one. I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: No. No. We'll Which so... how much of
2: column A and how much column B that was for Eric Morecambe. but. Certainly, in, in watching this in in the context that we have in Britain at the moment, it, it's, it it felt slightly not uncomfortable, but it just it just sat a bit differently, and it didn't 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 quite didn't quite hit the same as it would have back in the seventies. No, that's right. Really and I think there's also the, 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 particularly the Labour Exchange sketch as well. Like, what what point was he making? Is he having a dig at unemployed people? I don't know. It's, again, it's another thing that at the moment would feel in poor taste.
1: It would, yeah, yes. Yeah. It's 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 because of you know it's forty what five years ago. Mm. The the context is not completely lost, but it is. It's yeah, a long time half ago, a century. Yeah. Just about yeah.
2: But it was yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I think one of the things that's interesting about watching these things, and of course I, I do, I do retrotube podcasts, so I. Obviously, just old TV of that era in general, but but something that has that kind of satire to it or attempts at satire. I don't, I'm not sure satire is Spike's strongest suit. I think yes. his weaker sketches tend to be the satirical ones in this, but it's certainly interesting. Like they're interesting historical documents of what what the people what the satirical preoccupations were at the time. So that's yes. it's, it's fascinating, if not necessarily always hilarious.
1: Okay, M. Mm. Is for Monty Python. So, okay, so the director of Q5 was Ian McNaughton, as I said earlier, mm. and he would then go on to bring the Pythons to TV. Mm. So um, Q5 went out less than six months before Flying Circus began. And, it, you know, everyone knows the story about how the Pythons said that, oh, you know, Spike's got in before us. Yes. And, and how, how much, you know, he was doing what they envisaged Flying Circus to be with the um, sketches that just stop. And uh, and whatnot, um, but you read the Wikipedia article on Q, and half of it, I swear, is <laughs> the Python's perspective of Q. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Okay. Seems to be, yeah. So I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on Monty Python, of course, because that's you know that's uh, that's another podcast. I think, mm. but I wanted to just to ask you because I've written down a few any sketches or sequences in in the shows that we watched that could have been python or could have easily fitted into you know a half hour flying circus episode
2: well i did i must admit while watching it's certainly the first couple the q5 and q6 because they were more or less immediately either side of python the tv show so one was just before and the q5 was just before and q6 was just after i think yes yeah, i so just just series. have to
1: say that yeah absolutely because q5 was 69 q6 hmm. didn't start till 75
2: yes that's right so that's so Python fitted exactly, Python finished 74, I think, the series four was 74, so it fitted exactly in between the first two series of Q. So it's pre-Python and post-Python immediately. So I did, for those first two, have a bit of an eye on whether he he seemed, whether you could tell that Q5 was influential and Q6 was influenced. And I don't think I could particularly, but there were definitely um, sketches that I think, could have been python once so my thought on the difference because they actually they are quite different uh, and i think the big difference between them is that you is gag based whereas python is ideas based so python doesn't really have many gags as such it's all about like here's True. a funny situation and we'll play the situation out uh, and off it'll go off in you know, what a weird and wild tangent but it won't spike tends to um have a situation we're at a labor exchange or at crufts or in a travel agent and that's going to be where we're going to put a whole lot of gags where python uh, is like absolutely here's one idea here's a juxt- juxtapose- juxtaposing no here's a, a contrasting idea or you know something that makes this unusual and then we're going to play these two things off each other and see where where this takes us, if I, you know whether we have if we have to change it and have a lumberjack coming in or something like that, then that so be it. Um and I think also the other big difference is that the Pythons play their characters straight. So this is relative obviously but even the characters who yeah. who talk like this. Hello, you know, mm. Mr. Purdy or whatever his name is, um still, yes. Mr. Mm. Praline, Mr. Pr- yes, he's still utterly sincere within his own reality. Yes. So all of these Python characters, however Panto and weird and wacky they are, they totally believe in their own reality. Whereas Spike's characters, they're always Spike and John Bluthal and whoever else mugging at camera and cracking up and not really taking it seriously, like the um the sketch about do we still stand up for the national anthem. Mm. The main presenter of that, that Spike plays, could have been because he's sort of written as a satire on people who believe that we should still stand for the national anthem. And he, he does sort of, I can't remember exactly what he talks about, but there's some instances of things that's like the, the slight examples of modern moral decay because we don't still stand for the national anthem. But because it's Spike playing it, it's mainly, mainly just Spike doing Spike things rather mm. than that character. Mm. Um, so that that for me is the big difference. So I think there's not actually that much crossover, but I could certainly see the um, the Cockney's the yeah. anthropological sketch. Anything yes. that has like a, a core idea to it.
1: Exactly. I was going to say that the David Attenborough Cockney's mm. extended sketch.
2: Because that yeah. has really very few gags. It, it's no. mainly the idea that he's playing with. It's the idea. Oh, and it goes on for 10 minutes. Oh, <laughs> it does. <laughs> it <saw, laughs> really outstays its welcome. That's good.
1: <laughs> There's a, there was a couple of television game show parodies. Mm. Yes. Maybe could have, you know, rewritten by Palin and Jones. Could have yes, turned which is, up. The, beat the Beat, beat the dock. The doc. Yes, beat the dock. Beat the dock. And um, where does it hurt?
2: Yes, they're very Python.
1: Um, yeah, and also Python. I noticed in Q five, did you notice there was one gag, and then you saw some tinted stock footage of an audience? Yes, applauding? I wrote
2: that down. Yes, this is the pre-Python series. Yeah, it's, it's not the it's not the WI, but it's very very it's close. Very close. Yeah, but I did notice also in one of the post-Python series that they use the now what's it called that piece of music. Um, the Devil's Gallop by Charles Williams, the, oh, the yes. Dick Barton music. Dick Barton,
1: yeah, mm. yeah, which
2: is which is a I think a Python favourite, but that also crops up in a later queue.
1: Well, I, th- I think that Dick Barton Devil's Gallop is in the Spanish Inquisition episode. Oh, is
3: there that one? Oh, I, think I think so. I
1: think so. so. What's the name? Is it Cardinal da- Fang?
2: Oh, it might be. It just seems like I associate it more than Python, more with Python than anything. That piece of music, it's yeah, just the Monty Python music
1: yeah but you say about the David Attenborough extended that 10 minute sketch Mm. it is it is it proceeds at a a leisurely pace unlike a lot of Q yeah it's not it's not mad and and and, um, frenetic
2: yeah I think he's still definitely finding his feet in terms of actually what he's the, the tone that the show has because it's by the because I like the central idea of uh, we're going to do an anthropological documentary about this lost tribe of Cockneys, and it's all going to be about the the Cockney people and that sort of thing. But it does morph just into general London commuters and it goes on for 10 or 11 minutes. And by minute eight or nine, I'm thinking, Spike, I've got the idea. Because it doesn't really <clears throat> develop. It doesn't go any way beyond just going and, you hear these great underground pits that women are not allowed. Oh, it's the gents' toilets. Well done. Um, the one bit I did really like, though, was... Uh, I think, was it John Bluthill and Peter Jones as the fish and chip men?
1: No, David Lodge. David Lodge, that's Yes, right. I wrote that down as well. David Lodge was cracking in that.
2: Yes.
0: Can you ask the hunter what he is doing? <laughs>
3: Certainly,
0: I'll try. I'll Here, Eric. This is gonna kill you! Go on, tell us, I can't wait. This geezer here wants to know what you're doing. Well, I'm frying bleeding fish, aren't I? He says he's frying bleeding fish. <laughs> frying bleeding fish? You can tell him it's a right bloody job and all because Shoppy Ape was coming here half boats after this, asking for a piece of rock, threw a skate and six pellets of chips, and give you a 20-quid note to pay for it. Makes me bloody spit!
3: <laughs>
2: He says the gods are angry. Uh, yeah, that that was a good a good moment where it is, is actually playing with the idea. So it's it, he's not just talking to two fish and chip men and they're baffled by this TV presenter. One of them is actually translating what he's saying to the other guy, and so it does feel like one of those ninety those yeah you know, horribly patron. You don't. That's one thing you don't get on telly anymore is is anthropological documentaries. We don't no, really try. do that. To, tribes people these days no um but so that's that is another sort of sort of um, was it a time capsule of of the past is these the things that you would have on tv back then so it's it's spoofing something that's entirely gone from television but that is one of those moments that was played nicely and it was a nice idea but generally oh my goodness bike <laughs> stop i know yeah. i know the i've got it
1: enough already yeah yes. Uh, okay, N is for newsreader Spike.
0: Uh, Mrs Thatcher last week opened a mixed school and asked how the sexes were segregated. The headmaster said, if you must know, we go around with a crowbar and prize them apart.
1: <laughs> yeah, from Q... Was it Q6 onwards, I think? He would have... Begin, he would sort of um, top and tail the show with Spike at, the, at a news desk, as it were, just telling hoary old gags. Know, hardened criminals and the like i know
2: i th- i felt that it was a bit beneath him yeah <laughs> really like it was lamentable yeah it was because it was essentially the same uh is this pre two ronnie's i'm my, my two ronnie's knowledge is not very yeah, well
1: hard. no two ronnies was certainly well in in, in uh, into its probably third or fourth series by this oh, time, blimey. So, so
2: he's just taking the two ronnie's idea of just Pretty much, news read with with jokes, but they're worse jokes than the two Ronnies jokes. And I'm not a two Ronnies fan. I know this might get me thrown from the from the train of archive TV appreciation, but I've never really found the two Ronnies particularly funny. And these well, were you, still-
1: if, if I'm being entirely honest, I only probably like about a th- half of the two Ronnies, if that, because mm. I don't like the news reading bit. I don't like Barbara Dixon. I don't like. Ronnie in the big chair talking about the producer's cocktail party mm. I don't like the musical bit at the end I like the serials often particularly... I like the
2: serials yeah I like the weird yeah, like, yeah Worm That Turned and Phantom sequence, yes.
1: blowing that. And and I do like the Ronnie B sketches often when it's him doing sort of verbal mm. gymnastics but yeah, a lot of it no
2: a lot of it is laughing at knockers <laughs> really, isn't it?
1: as 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 is this show. <laughs> yes.
2: I've never like when I was little, and still to this day, I don't find women's bosoms funny. I don't know what they're all laughing at. Why are women's bosoms funny?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, okay. It's, it's, it's a comedy
2: staple of the seventies and early eighties: scantily clad women, and I, I don't get the joke. No, Like I know they like looking, like. I know why she's there, because they want to look, but why is it also, why is it funny? Why are they always laughing at him? But anyway, sorry, I've just, that was a rant.
1: Okay. <laughs> I've right. been
2: waiting 45 years to get that off
1: my chest. Hey! Second, second <laughs> chest reference. And there we must leave it for part one. Next week, we're back with part two, O to Z. And we also talk about the time that Spike met the happiest man in popular music, Van Morrison. Don't miss it, folks. And check out all past episodes in the archive if you haven't already. Uh, Milligan fans in particular may be interested in a show we did recently on Adolf Hitler, my part in his downfall. Anywho, see you next week. Take care. Bye.